Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. This portion in the last three chapters of Hebrews, we kind of take a, a turn. The first ten chapters, the writer has been laying down important principles, doctrines, if you will, for the Hebrew Christians to know and to understand. He's talked about how Jesus is better than the angels, that Jesus is better than Moses, that his priesthood is better than the Levitical priesthood that came through Aaron. It's established a better covenant where the offerings that once were offered time and time again have now been replaced by his offering once for all. We've talked about how that those phrases once for all is used over and over and over again. And so the writer is really trying to spell out to these Hebrew Christians through the first portion of this epistle why these things are so. Why Jesus is better. Why he is the one that they've been waiting for. And now he's going to turn the corner and come to some practical things that are going to be applicational to their living. One of the things that they were struggling with that we've addressed is wanting to go back to their traditions and understand that they had come to this place where they have now faith in Jesus that he is the Messiah. But their thoughts on who the Messiah is and what he was supposed to do was something immediate. They had recognized now that, okay, he had to, to die for our sin, and we know that he's alive again. So any day now, he's going to come back and bring in justice, going to bring in vengeance for those who are enemies against us, those who are oppressing us. Any day now, he is going to deliver us. And a year goes by, and two years go by, and ten years go by. And they're wondering, we believe, but where is this Messiah? The temple's right over there. We can see the temple. We could see the things that we are used to be involved with and the worship that we used to have. But this Jesus who we're putting faith in, we don't see him. And we thought that it was going to be immediate. We, we thought that it was going to be something that would happen now. And they are in danger of going back because they didn't want to wait for what they couldn't see. In Exodus 32, verse 1, there's a verse that says, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods. Who will go before us? As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what had happened to him. And we remember that story in Exodus when Moses went and was gone for that period of time receiving the commandments from God. They got anxious. So they wanted something to worship. So they took the gold, they made a calf, they danced and they gave themselves over to this idolatrous worship. Why? Because we don't know what happened to Moses. He's gone. 
these Hebrew Christians are in a similar situation. This Jesus, he's gone. We don't know when he's coming back. We thought he was supposed to establish something. So let, let's go back to something else. Let's go back to something that we can get our hands on, that we can see, that we are familiar with. Because living this life of waiting, it's difficult. And you know what? As we talk about faith tonight, and these people of faith, we're not going to be able to cover the whole chapter. Um, I, I hope to get through the portion up to verse 19 with dealing with Abraham. But faith becomes something that is foundational for who we are. Because without it, the scriptures are going to tell us it, it's impossible to please God. And so these Hebrew Christians, and I think us many times as well, struggle with this idea of faith and putting faith in God. How can I trust God for my, and, and you list it, my health, for my finances, for my children, for my job, for my environment, or, or, or the problems that I'm dealing with, what, whatever it is. How can I trust God when everything I see is going contrary to what I would consider a blessed life. And so there is the tendency and the pull within us to trust in something else or to lean on something else or to call for help from someone else. To, you know, get a loan from someone who maybe we shouldn't or to, you know, go back to someone in a relationship that maybe we shouldn't or to maybe start drinking again because, you know, at least I, I have that bottle. It brings me some comfort. Whatever it is, we, we have this tendency to want to go to something we're familiar with, to find some kind of security in those things instead of security in faith and trust in Jesus. And that was their issue. That's what they're dealing with. And so the writer here is addressing the importance of faith. And he's going to give a list. It's known as the Hall of Faith, but really it's the credentials of faith. This is proving that faith is something reliable. You see, you've got to understand, faith has always been important. It's not just important now, it's always been there. And here are its credentials. In verse 1, he starts off and he says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. There's a little example or a little description of what faith is. And there are so many translations of what this is. I like this one, faith is being sure of. It might say the substance, the assurance the whole idea, it is something that is established. Faith is the substance or being sure of what we hope for. And is this idea of hope for isn't the kind of hope for, oh, gee, I hope. Cross my fingers, you know, I, I hope it is. This kind of faith is something that you're confident in. You know, I've heard this example used so many times. You know, we, we show faith. Throughout our lives, we have faith in a lot of things. We have faith in the news that we receive. 
you know, I know that there's an oil spill in the Gulf Coast. I haven't seen it, but I believe it's there. Why? Because I've heard about it, word from someone. So I have faith in what I've been told, whether it's through the news, through my son, through whatever. I have faith. Or maybe you've heard the illustration, you know, you have faith that your car is going to start. And then you hear the people say, oh, well, some people have more faith than others. You know, Do you, if you know my car, I need a lot of faith. And that's exactly the opposite of what this is talking about. You see, the car, the brand new BMW comes right off the lot. The person who goes in there and turns it, he has faith. The person who's got the old beater, he doesn't have as much faith. And it's not that he needs more faith. It's just the person who knows and has the assurance that my car is going to start. Why? Because it's a good car. It's brand new. I have that kind of assurance. How much more faith do we have in God than a car? You see, we all exhibit faith all the time. We go with assurance. You, you might not even be thinking twice of it. It depends on your car. Uh, the going in there and you just turn the key and you just assume it's going to start. You turn the light switch on, you assume the lights are going to go on. Why? Because you have faith. You have faith in that circumstance, that environment. And so, we have this faith and this assurance in God. Because faith is connected. When it says by faith, it means how we receive from God. It is faith in something. It's not faith in... In and of itself, faith is put in God. It doesn't stand alone. It stands and trusts in God. And so faith is belief, trust, fidelity, firm persuasion, a firm conviction, but it always finds its object in God. That's biblical faith. It's not like the force. You don't have faith in faith. You just have to believe and then you'll be healed. No, you would have to believe in God that you would be healed. You don't just believe in belief. You have faith in God. That's what genuine biblical faith is. It's faith in, confidence in, persuasion, conviction in God. And, and what God is going to do. And so you have this hope. The idea of hope is confidence that our hopes are valid. That they will be realized. I have hope that the sun is coming up tomorrow. I have confidence. Why? It's come up every day I've been born. Every day of my life, the sun has come up. And I have hopes that it's going to continue. I have this confidence in it. This is how things are. I'm assured of it. And so we have faith in God and we have this hope in God. And so we see that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I love that. Certain of what we do not see. He goes on and he says, this is what the ancients were commended for. Now, when he says the ancients, he's talking about their forefathers, and he's going to list them throughout this chapter. Again, he is telling these Hebrew Christians, those people that you have believed and trusted in all your lives, you need to do what they have done. They had faith in God, even when they could not see the outcome. You need to have faith in God, even though you no longer see the person, Jesus Christ. Have faith in who he is 
and what he's done. And so, he starts with this list. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And his first one doesn't start with Abel. It starts with we. You guys already have faith. You already have faith in what you don't see. You have faith that everything that we see was created by God, that was made out of what isn't visible. And so we see that they had understanding that before these things they understood. And it starts with them that their faith is already there. You've already got faith in God, let me explain it to you. Most of our knowledge, as well as theirs, comes from faith in some authoritative person, a source of information, rather than personal verification. They weren't there when the earth was created. Neither were any of us. None of us are that old. So they took it on someone else's word. Moses declared it through Genesis. God gave them the scriptures so that they could know this is how things came about. Did they believe it? Yes, they believed it. They had faith in what was written, even though they didn't see it. And so their faith is established already. They understood how the universe itself was created, even though they weren't there, and it was made out of what was invisible. God spoke, and it came. Okay, this idea of visible is going to come up time and time again, or what they knew or could see. Why? Remember, Jesus is not here with us, but we have faith in him that he is nonetheless. He is not physically present, but he is present. And we have faith in this risen Lord that he will come again for us. And it is something that as sure as, sure as you believe in the creation that God created the heavens and the earth, believe and trust in this Jesus. And so he then goes on to, by faith, Abel. He gives this list of righteousness of faith. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offering, and by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. Now, he starts with Abel, and he gives three distinctions about Abel. He says he had a better sacrifice. And why was it a better sacrifice? Well, it wasn't something that he had done in his own hands. His sacrifice was in the offering that he gave. He commended him as being righteous because of that offering that he made. And then he says that he still speaks today. Now he starts with Abel, and this reasoning why he starts with Abel is really powerful. You see, Abel is an example for them. Abel's offering to God was accepted by faith. He gave it to them, as opposed to Cain. What did Cain do? Cain offered the works of his hands. He, the things that he planted, the things that he made, you know, maybe he made a nice designer dish that would be on the Food Network, you know, and he sprinkled something. Who knows what he did? Man, you ever see those TV shows? They're amazing. The things that they make. I'm going to fly to Chicago just to have some of those things that they show on TV. But anyway, Cain, back to reality. Uh, Cain offered the work of his own hands. 
Abel offered what God had established, a sacrifice. God, if you receive the sacrifice, then you will receive me. And you see, faith in the goodness of God does not justify anyone. We don't have faith in that God's going to be good. But faith that God accepts the sacrifice is foundational. You understand that? We don't have faith that God is good so he's going to accept me. We have faith that God accepted the good sacrifice for me. There's a big difference. God doesn't wink his eye at sin. He's not going to say, go ahead, get into heaven. God's goodness doesn't dissolve my need for salvation. But Jesus, the sacrifice, takes care of it. And Abel had faith in that sacrifice, just as we have faith in our Jesus. And so because of that, God considered him righteous. Why? Because of his offering. God considers us righteous. Why? Because of his offering of Jesus. And it's never any other way in Scripture. The Scripture knows nothing of a righteousness that is apart from sacrifice. Nothing. Every righteousness is connected to the sacrifice. And Abel is the example of God accepting his trust in the sacrifice. God made him righteous because of the sacrifice. And that's how he still speaks to us, because what he speaks about is God still accepts the sacrifice, but now...